Hey, I'm Andy Garbett. I'm a researcher, a postdoc researcher at OpenLab based in the School of Computer Science at Newcastle University. I've got a background in software engineering, but I've kind of changed over to interaction design during my PhD. OpenLab's got a really good reputation for uh, being one of the largest HCI groups outside of North America. And it's also got a really impressive interaction design team around kind of digital civics and the general sort of uh, civic technologies um, ethos, if you like. So they're, they're kind of one of the major pulling points for, for coming here. And also, it was, it was, you know, it was a recommendation from my supervisor when I was based uh, at Lincoln doing some stuff with cognitive behavioral therapy and sleep. Um, so it's a bit of a shift. I, I kind of started the whole track with doing kind of social network analysis, looking at how we could use the you know, leveraging the power of social networks to find uh, new and interesting stuff, and then quickly realised that actually I'm more interested in kind of the civics aspects in terms of how do people collect uh, and contribute their own uh, kind of experiences, so that other people can benefit uh, from those experiences. I think digital civics covers um, a wide range of things. It can go all the way from local government to uh, national level policy making to activism to things like the solidarity economy in Greece and the work that we're doing there. I think it covers a whole range of things really about, for me, it's about putting the tools in the hands of the citizens. So rolling out technology at scale, en masse, giving people kind of the power, if you like, to hold government to account, to create alternative services, to basically become, you know, a voice and give them a bit more power in this kind of top-down organization that we have, which is government. I have to say App Movement is probably one of the most exciting projects that I've worked on. I think just purely from from both a technical perspective, it was quite challenging. And also, you know, it kind of had some traction. So it was really exciting that people actually used the service. And I had someone on a train, actually, uh, one of the uh, Green MPs, a Green Party MPs, turn around to me and say, oh, have you heard of this uh, breastfeeding app called FeedFinder? I was like, tell me more. Um, and when he kind of, you know, bestowed the values of FeedFinder and how it's helped his wife uh, on me, I, it was nice to be able to turn around and say, yeah, actually, I was involved in, in, in working on that project. So. Yeah, that's probably been the most rewarding part. Yeah, so initially we were working with uh, Madeline Balam. We were working with breastfeeding groups in the Northeast. So going through NHS um, advisors, if you like, they've got kind of breastfeeding support groups. And they were developing, uh, Madeline was developing an app at the time to, as like an instructional app, to teach young women how to how to breastfeed. We quickly realised that actually there's a lot of stigmatisation uh, of breastfeeding in the Northeast uh, I mean, nationwide as well. Typically in the Northeast, the breastfeeding rates are a lot lower than our national average. So this is something that was you know, quite important to Madeline. 
and obviously the, the research team. So we kind of started off by going to these local breastfeeding support groups um, and just ca- kind of getting to know the, the gripes and, and pains, if you like, of, of breastfeeding in public. One afternoon, one of the mothers basically said to us, wouldn't it be great if we had a trip advisor, but for breastfeeding? And that kind of sparked off that idea of, yeah, actually, maybe we could create a location-based review service for breastfeeding-friendly places. So we worked with them over a number of number of months to basically work out what qualities were important to women and also to understand how they might use this in their day-to-day lives and understand some of the reasons why someone might actually contribute because it's, you know, it's free labor essentially, but in effect, people can actually get some sort of uh, benefit from it, kind of indirect reciprocity, if you like. So we kind of started with the feed finder stuff and then we quickly realized actually location-based review services are quite important if we want to collectively create information systems um, and have a kind of community-driven aspect to it. So that's where App Movement was born. There's nothing similar, directly similar to App Movement. However, the, the closest things tend to be things like sitsci.org um, or Sensor, other research projects which have looked specifically at citizen science. So looking at essentially how can we get members of the public to engage with research. I mean, there's problems in that already because it's this kind of model of, well, it's inviting the public to engage with research at arm's length. So it's go and measure uh, the number of trees on a plot of land. Uh, and then we'll take that data. Thanks very much for supplying it. And then we'll run off, do some analysis, and then publish a paper on it, thanks to the free labor. And no one really benefits from that whole cycle. There's other tools as well, which which are a similar sort of uh, citizen science base. There's some stuff with MIT, MIT App, App Creator, I think it is, or App Maker, they, that is more of an educational tool. So it's getting kids to basically develop mobile apps with a drag and drop interface. But it doesn't quite have that collective purpose around it. So that's the kind of unique thing about our movement is that it really is kind of a grassroots commissioning service that people can engage their network with before an app's even built to establish the kind of demands behind that app and develop a community who are going to go on to support that application uh, in the future. App Movement is an online commissioning platform for location-based review services. So what it means is it's a little bit like Kickstarter. Uh, anyone can go on the website, you pitch an idea, um, you get 250 people on board with your idea, and you share that on social media through your friends, uh, family networks. And then essentially after you hit that 250 people uh, kind of supporter target after 14 days, the process then moves into a design area. And in that design area, you've got configurable options, which the community can contribute uh, ideas to. So things like, you know, the app name, logo, rating options. And that really gives the community a bit of time to understand how and what and why people are going to engage with this thing and really what the community want from it. And then what we do is we take those uh, highest rated contributions and then we automatically generate uh, an Android and iOS mobile app. And that whole process takes around about 30 days. And then what happens is people can, you know, those initial 250 people who might have already told, you know, two or three other friends might other, might eventually be about a thousand people go ahead and download the app on day one, as opposed to having to sit in a garage like a normal inventor, release this app, spend months on it, release this app, and then find out it's an absolute flop because no one really wants it. So it's a really nice way of actually allowing the community to create an idea themselves, pre-populate, if you like, uh, the concept and test it with the community have those discussions, design that pro- uh, prototype, and then release it uh, into the wild with, with all those kind of initial contributors behind the concept. 
So I think because it's part of the digital civics, um, you know, the uh, digital economy research centre, I think it's quite important personally that we are not too forward thinking, but forward thinking enough that it kind of brings people to an interesting point where they can see the merit in a technology and it might be a bit quirky from for now, but it has some sort of near near immediate effect, if you like. That's quite important if we're talking about you know, actually getting people to use these things, um, especially if we're talking about society. You know, these aren't lab studies. We can't emulate society in the lab. They need to be in society. So for for actually to have some sort of impact and to, to do something with this technology, you need to kind of design these services and products to look like products. So that's kind of quite important, I think, for, for digital civics. I think Active is a system which uses inexpensive activity trackers and pseudonymous avatars to promote reflection of kind of personal informatics for primary school children. Um, it incorporates itself into programs like uh, the Newcastle United Foundation's MatchFit program, which is a six-week health and nutrition program where they send two instructors into a primary school uh, and they spend one hour a week uh, doing classroom-based activities, so learning about the body, health and nutrition, and those sorts of things, and then one hour just kind of running around and enjoying themselves. Um, that happens over six weeks, and then uh, people like Newcastle United Foundation can then use that data to understand the kind of impacts of their intervention. Um, it's a really interesting project because it's got a few different issues of working in a school environment. School environments are really complex in terms of the safeguarding around kids, uh, the fact that kids can't have mobile phones during class, um, and you know how do I roll this system out when we're talking about service users of 50,000 users region-wide for the Newcastle United Foundation. So when we initially worked with them, they, they actually wanted to digitize their workbooks to, to be able to save a bit of capital. And what we quickly realized was actually what's going to get you more capital in the future to continue the good work is to be able to actually say, yeah, we've had a positive impact through our program of work. Um, they have around about 14 programs, so they've got a lot of programs to support. Being able to actually say things like during pilot study one, we could say, um, on average, uh, children actually took 18.5% more steps over the period, uh, six-week period uh, daily. So that shows that there's an increase in activity levels for those kids. So Think Active uses um, unique QR codes to each student. Alongside that, each student has an avatar. So, for example, I can safely tell you that I'm Red Octopus 5. Um, I use that in all my deployments. Um, and what we do is we take a Think Active kit uh, to a classroom we give a, a teacher a, a box of bands, if you like, and a box of identities. Um, and then the teacher then has a paper lookup sheet. They take the student's name and they write that down on the sheet next to an avatar. And then they issue that band with that avatar. And what that means is in the future, when the uh, student walks up to the base station, scans their QR code on the back of their workbook, that data is then allocated to uh, people like Fred Octopus 5, for example. And then the teacher is the one that kind of safeguards that information so that um, in the future, when we share that data with people like Newcastle United Foundation or other research teams or Public Health England, uh, that data has been pre-anonymized. This is kind of interesting when we start thinking about looking nationally at health interventions um, and government budgets. So if governments want to use technology in the future to understand activity levels of kids, how do they operate in this complex school environment? How do they do it at scale, cost effectively? And importantly for me, how do they do it in a privacy centric manner? Because at the moment, you kind of take a £400, £500 smartphone, you take 
120 pound Fitbit smart device, uh, and then you kind of give it to a kid, and somehow all of this is supposed to work. It's not cost effective. It's not privacy centric in the fact that these companies want to actually take this data, monetize it for advertising purposes. And it just simply doesn't work uh, when we t- start talking about orchestration of so many devices. Think Active is different in the fact that actually, you know, people like Newcastle United Foundation and the teachers themselves can start to issue challenges, group challenges, so they can do collective activity tracking, which is, you know, more engaging. And the fact that kids can see these uh, activity levels in the classroom in a safe environment and start to actually learn about data, given that data-driven decision-making in the future is going to be a core part, if you like, of, of the civic agenda. So being uh, being able to understand data itself is very important. So for kids, they're learning more about data literacy and about drawing conclusions from one another, so socially interacting around data. For teachers, it's being able to actually evidence the impact of their you know activity le- uh, lessons, so running around playing football, because Ofsted are going to come in and actually ask them to evidence those uh, interventions. And then lastly, it's for people like Newcastle United Foundation to access additional funding and really to just keep doing the good work that they do. So when we're thinking about data from Think Active, uh, we might actually think about not just about giving teachers or students or people like Newcastle United Foundation uh, access to that data, but how do we do it in such a way that you know it can, continues to be private uh, for the individual, but that we can share things with researchers, we can share things with government, and people like Public Health England, so that they can actually start to change the way uh, policy is made in terms of technology spending, in terms of uh, activity spending, um, so that we can actually reduce uh, the obesity epidemic that we have in the UK. You have been listening to A Writer in the Lab, a Newcastle University podcast, hosted by me, Emily Barker, and produced by Daniel Parry and Brett Cherry, here in Open Lab. If you want to find out more about our research in science, agriculture and engineering, then visit our website at ncl.ac.uk forward slash stage. Thanks for listening and see you next time.